Well, I'm Clark Irvin. Thank you very much for being here on this lovely Sunday morning. We at St. John's love history, and we love the preservation of history, so uh, we are in for a real treat today. I was having lunch a few months ago with Rob. Uh, we were just up the street at Joe's, which I'm sure you know, and as we uh, were walking here, we talked about the Dolly Madison House, and he mentioned the restoration of it, and that's how um, today came to be. We're very pleased to have with us today Hank Handler. Hank is a noted craftsman and master builder. He co-founded Oak Grove Restoration Company 40 years ago to specialize in the conservation, preservation, restoration, and retrofitting of historic buildings. The company's clients, many of which are repeat customers, include state and local governments, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, the National Park Service, private homeowners, historic sites, and house museums. In 2008, his work at two National um, Trust historic sites, namely the Decatur House and President Lincoln's Cottage, was recognized with the AIA DC Design Excellence Award for Historic Resources and the DC Mayor's Award for Historic Preservation, respectively. Uh, among the many projects on which he's worked over the years are, as we were just discussing, Ashburton House, which we know very well, Harper's Ferry National Park, James Madison's Mount Pelier, the, Cosmo, the Cosmos Club, and Dumbarton Oaks. Currently, he's finishing the historic facade of the Dolly Madison House here on Lafayette Square, and that will be the subject of his talk today. With that, please join me in welcoming Hank Handler. Reverend Fisher for having me here. Um, you all for coming. Uh, I would start with just a slight bit of history about the park because it's, it's really incredible as you read into it. You recognize every name. There's just so much history here. Uh, it's hard to stop, but I've, I've cut my, thing, my speech in half because I was going on too much about it. But, Lafayette, Lafayette had this plan for the, not including a park here. It was going to be that 16th Street, Vermont Avenue, and uh, uh, Connecticut Avenue were all going to converge in front of his grand mansion in a roundabout. So that would have been a terrible mess. Fortunately, <laughs> Washington was not a fan of the idea, and he came out to do the surveying for the White House. And uh, there were some land problems of ownership and things like that. But just to skip forward, the park is preserved. The idea of the park is preserved, and Lafayette's idea is forgotten. Uh, so they begin to sell building lots on the park in the early 1800s. And there are still seven buildings left from the first period building. They are the White House, 1792, St. John's Church, 1815, Gator House, 1818, the one we're going to talk about starts as the Cuts House, 1819, the Lovell House, which is now the Blair House, that's 1824, the Taylor House over here on the other side of the Cosmos Club, 
1826 and the Gale House, which is where we're standing now, the Ashburton House. So those are original buildings that are still here. Uh, the changes begin as the houses begin to change, be sold, new people. Uh, Cuts builds his house, 1826. And he lives there nine years. He, oh, but he, is, he works for the treasury. Uh, he is uh, Madison's brother-in-law. And he uh, uh, works in the treasury and the naval department. In 1828, he sells this, his house to the Wilkes family. Wilkes is a, uh, uh, a seaman, an explorer, a geologist, and uh, he is going to be the person that really starts to change the Dolly Madison house from what it looked like. To, it becomes unrecognizable over time. Uh, so when Wilkes gets the house, 1851, he changes the Madison Street facade. He cuts the first elevation, first story windows down, and puts the long porch on the front with the, with the uh, cast iron supports. And then he goes around to H Street, and he puts the entrance on H Street, where that little bay now sits. Uh, then a, a long time passes. He lives there. It goes through renting. McClellan lives, rents for a while there, uh, General McClellan. And then in 1886, it goes to the Cosmos Club. And it is the first building that they, they get on Lafayette Square, and as some people think, they eventually dominate Lafayette Square by the time they've taken the build, two buildings that were next to the Cutts House, or the Madison House, and uh, torn those down and built what we now call the Cosmos Club building over there, and the, then they finally own the Taylor House, the next house, and one of the original, last original house on the east side. But, and this is just going to be a side, I'm going to go into it quick, for a long time. Uh, the Cosmos Club owns it, but they move away over onto Mass Avenue. They rent it to the federal government. And then way up in the late 50s, NASA moves in there for three years. So these things that I've just discovered late, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, eventually, the, the courts take the building over, and they are used for offices for the uh, appeals court that's right behind it. And I was just saying, there's a little bridge between uh, the back part of the Dolly Madison house on the H Street side, takes you into the new courthouse. And then above, there's beautiful offices down lower on the floor, on the second floor, not so nice. And then there's some grand rooms on the first floor. And then you, you can walk right into the Cosmos Club through 
the Dolly Madison house, and uh, I'm not sure whether you can walk into the Taylor house. I don't, I don't know that. I've never been that far. But about three years ago, the GSA decided, well, you know, this building has had a lot of deterioration on the finishes on the inside. And they're very concerned about breathability of the exterior walls. In other words, being able to move all the moisture that's generated by people. Like in this room, you know, the moisture's going up. And it needs to go back through the walls. And these walls are trapping it. Uh, the reason they were doing it is because sometime in the cosmos episodes of building, someone had uh, put this stucco layer on the building, but it really wasn't stucco. It was put on, you know, sometime after the 1900s, which is called shockcrete, and that is high pressurized mortar or concrete forced at high velocity through through a hose and shot and pushed into the wall, uh, blown onto the wall. And uh, then modern coatings are put on top of that, so it's a very hard, almost a concrete skin on the building, and very impermeable paints put on top of it. So it's trapping the water, the moisture from migrating through the walls, because the walls all used to be, when it was built, very soft and very porous and allowed the moisture to go out. So that was. That was the design that we were facing. Come up with this breathable membrane that fitted on the outside of the building. And to do that, we had to go back in history and recreate the kind of mortar that was originally used. So uh, we went to a company in France called St. Astos, and they have these different grades of lime. And this is something that made me very nervous in the beginning, is that GSA went right to the weakest line, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to work and everything. Uh, I've worked with some of these weaker limes, but never at that level. So anyway, we started in, and the brickwork that was exposed after removing the shotcrete, which was peeled off with chipping hammers where you've seen the building it was all enclosed and that was all sealed and double sealed and there was ventilation and filters on it because it had lead paint on it but it was so tenacious because it was just driven into the surface of these softer bricks and so we were supposed to take it off without damaging any of the bricks and that lasted one day <laughs> not even that long and then we were going to try a new standard. We were going to be able to damage a quarter inch of the bricks. And that didn't work either. It was just so hard to take the stuff off. And then, as we're peeling it off, well, that all came out in our first little mock-up, first day, you know, and everybody gets around and everybody's really upset about it. But we had to abandon the restrictions on damaging the face of the brick because it was like cutting off a sidewalk off the front of the building. It was that tight and that hard. But when we got into it, we realized that when the building was raised, Cosmos actually raised the roof of the building. They put in taller windows on the third floor and they pushed that roof up. And the masonry work 
was so inferior, and the quality of the bricks was terrible, because they knew, hey, we're just going to put chakrit over this. Nobody's ever going to see it, so just put it up. And we had this line right horizontally, went right at the end of the Cuts building line. The masonry was sound, robust, high quality, high content, lime putty struck in all the mortar joints, beautiful work, just like over at the Decatur house. But then you got above it to the Cosmos Club that said, well, we're going to put stucco over the whole building. We don't care what it looks like. And uh, as we took that apart, we weren't just tearing off the fronts of the brick. We were ripping the brick out of the wall because there was hardly any mortar in there. And uh, so that was a big problem. You know, how, and, and when we exposed it, we had a long time. We had to stop work and we had to bring, have the engineer team come in and work on it. Well, what are we doing? How are we going to go forward? What can we do with this? You know, just two different substrates, just night and day difference. Um, fortunately, at this time, I was working down the road at Mount Vernon Place in the Carnegie Library in the new Apple store. And we saw thousands of bricks coming out of that building in the renovation. These bricks were made probably around 1900, maybe a little bit later, old, low fire, not super weak bricks, but not strong like modern bricks. And we worked out a deal where those bricks came down here. And that's how we were able to put in a brick it sort of matched the time frame, was soft, was breathable, but not fragile. And uh, so that was a big, a big uh, plus to come up with just that little piece. And then putting that together with the soft, the soft mortar mix, that means the, the lime that is, they, they rate them at different numbers, but the softest lime with just nothing else added but sand and water. That's the building is put together with. No Portland cement, no chemical bonding agents. I like to say nothing atomic, nothing where you really had to have a chemist out there working on it and every valence of every molecule had the right hydrogen sticking to it so when it went up on that wall you were never getting it off. <laughs> we didn't have any of that. And, um, but what we did have was every square inch of the H Street side where we started measured, bricks counted, areas delineated of where we were going to take it apart, how we were going to put this piece together, and how we were going to put that piece together. And everything was laid out. And uh, it went pretty much for the whole seven layers up, just the way we've done it. Seven layers of scaffolding that we work up from the floor, Cuts Building, or the Madison House, very good. So what we did was just cut out the mortar so that when the new stucco went, it could go into the little cuts between the bricks. There'd be a little recess, a key to make it stick in there, hold on. But above, when we got to uh, uh, the Wilkes period of work, was, was the problem. The Wilkes and the Cosmos. And there, we were taking the brick out, and the, all of a sudden the brick was coming out, and huge 
quantities in a day. You know, you, you say, we'd have our chart, and we'd say, well, we, we have 10 square feet we're going to take out here, and you'd start taking it out, and all of a sudden, you, you know, guys upon the scaffolding, well, yeah, 10 feet, 10 feet, but look, and then all of a sudden, they'd be at 20 feet, square feet, and that would be laid on the scaffolding, and you look down at what it was or how it was pasted in the wall, and you say, well, yeah, it's got to come off. But we always had to go back at the end, day, end of the day and justify everything we were doing. But the Carnegie bricks were fantastic. They went back into the wall. They uh, uh, married up nice with, whatever, with any of the bricks we could save in there and in the, in the, the courses behind it, the other Weiss, layers of brick behind going you know, north to south through the wall. And, uh, but you know, it just wasn't quite strong enough. So, uh, we used these pieces of twisted wire, all stainless steel, because they're gonna have the lime on. Uh, and if you just think of barbed wire, but think smaller, smaller barbs on it. And that's, that is what this product is called, a Gila beam. And uh, they came from uh, maybe France or something like that. And they, these stainless steel rods are flexible. So under every window, we would cut really deep into the brick line. And then we'd skip a row of bricks and cut another one underneath that window and another one, get through the whole side of the building. And then these stainless steel Gila beams would be set in there and then bedding mortar put over top of them. And uh, they were just in there as a rebar, like you were building concrete. You had this metal rebar tying it together. And that was good. And everything was good there. We were going down and then we began to notice, well, guys, you know, the bay is just like so bad. It's like above, but it's down in the Madison building. Well, how can, you know, so anyway, well, of course, if you look at the historic Feb uh, pictures, that bay was never there. That bay was from the worst period of the building. I don't want to say, you know, Cosmos period, I guess. It's, you know, it's probably go to the Cosmos <laughs> Club, I'm, you know. They, anyway, they, they didn't expect anybody to ever look. But the bay that's on the H Street is just built next to the building. It isn't even attached. <laughs> the bricks for the wall on 8th Street from the original building go down. And the other bricks come here. And there's nothing, none of this action. And this is great building because the bay is low. And it's from, you know, the first period of building. But this is from when they were building the top. And it's terrible. It's falling apart. And we were having to hold it up because, you know, you have little, little vertical posts with all the windows and everything, and they were just, they were terrible. So, go back, have another more, more time with the engineer and come up, and we use these Gila beams, and we bring them along the, Do the Dolly Madison house. They're embedded there, and then we bent them at a right angle and come forward along the sides of the bay and then we bend them around the profile of the bay and then we go around the front of the bay and then we do the same thing going around the other side of the bay. So with these stainless steel bands embedded in all the masonry, we secure the bay to the building. Uh, 
And uh, that's the way it was done. Now, we go around over to the Madison place. We have the same problem up above. And uh, then down below, everything's fine. Uh, but we did come across where uh, um, the front door that used to be or Madison Place used to be, and then we wanted to preserve the ghost marks in the wall. So there again, we put in a lot of uh, the, the, the steel reinforcing, and we just left a lot of cracks in, because when we took the front door out and moved it over onto the H Street, it wasn't particularly gentle job, a lot of damage was done, but we didn't repair that, we left that as witness, and we just braced it up with the steel wires, the helo beams in there. And then further down, Madison Place, you come to what we call you know, the Madison Place Bay. And that is all built out of limestone. But it's just painted over. Nobody ever realized that, how that thing was built. But it's beautiful. Every, every facet of the limestone, if it's vertical, it has one kind of dressing on the stone. If it's horizontal, it has another, another type of dressing. If it's skyward looking, a third. And it's just beautiful. But Oh, and then it had a sandstone base at the top of it, and it was great. And then on top of it, just more of the lesser quality brickwork built on top of it. So the bay needed nothing. Uh, it was perfect shape. It was true. It wasn't sagging. It wasn't moving. But above that, we were back into this old brick where we were splicing in uh, large quantities of the Carnegie Library brick, and uh, all the other little fixes, the, the Gila beams put in, the softer mortar, everything. Now, one thing we came across as we did these two bays was buried in them were um, wooden beams. And these beams were not looking really good. <laughs> so, you know, what to do? Um, wasn't in the scope to just yank the roof off because then you're into all this sheet metal work, and all this, but that would be like another avalanche. We didn't want to go there. Uh, so we used a product, we used borates, and it's a non-toxic way to treat rotted or wood or to stop rot in wood. And uh, these things are really fantastic. You, they look like a cylinder two or three inches long, translucent white. You drill a hole, you slide them in. The borate diffuses into the wood. It acts as a barrier at anything that is going to eat wood, digest wood, funguses, termites, anything like that. Can't get past the barrier of the borates that is set up in the wood. So this is how we went in and treated. Some of the really bad ones they had to go, and we had to put new pieces in. But this is how we treated the original roof systems on the bays, both bays, okay? Uh, and then it just got bricked up. Sometimes we had to put in some new steel lintels over on Madison Place, but most of the time we were able to save them with the borates. This also happened up at the roof line. Uh, the sill plates up there, they, were all, they weren't as bad, they were all treated with borates. So that got us through the shotcrete, masonry, and uh, we had the same sandstone that is here in the Ashburton house, in front of the, uh, the church at St. John's, which 
is not the best building material. It is beautiful to look at, but it dissolves in water. And so what we did there was we would just, we would just cut, this was at the lintels above every window, above the doors. And we would just saw out the rotted area and then drill and insert little stainless steel pins. And it's just a lot of like dental work at this point. Um, and then we would use this special patching mortar made by a company here, Cathedral Stone, called Jan. And uh, you have a little, you have to take a class to use it. And um, you would put that on and you would let that start to dry. As it got firmer and firmer, you could sculpt it back and treat the surface and smooth it out. And it was the exact color of the stone. And uh, these balconies, I, I did the yawn repairs on those many years ago. But, um, and then you, ju you just carve the profile in and then maybe sand it a little bit at the end. Ours were all painted over, so nobody ever, ever saw it again, but just about every lintel over there had to be rebuilt. But these yawn systems are uh, the way to save that, that product, that piece. Um, the stones on the building, I'm going to go back to the breathable membrane, is that one of the coatings that we used was mineral paint because very breathable and uh, uh, not like modern paints, but it, a system that will really let the water come through. And uh, so we use those on all the stone. I'm going to pick it up a little bit, I'm running out of time. So we got to get to the stucco, because uh, we use this, almost the same mixture that we used to, make, to lay the brick, we may use to make the stucco. The very soft line, sand, water. The stucco was troweled on in a scratch coat, was forced into the keys that we'd left in the brick. Then we came over that with the same mixture of lime, sand, and water, and troweled what we call the finish coat on top of it. Now, after that, it got a very unusual finish on top of it that is not really used very often, but lime wash, which was lime again, a little bit of mineral pigment, and water. It was not a paint. It's a coating. And that's where we sit today, and we're still working on perfecting that coating. <laughs> so... Not complete. We have some issues with it and some blending problems. But uh, I'm going to just really quickly, in the last second, talk about the wood restoration. Um, somebody along the way here put in a beautiful set of windows that were made with cypress. And uh, this is old growth cypress. And you have in all these kinds of lumber, and I could go on too long here, but anyway, old growth are trees that grew in intense competition back in these ancient forests before we were around here a thousand years ago. Just grew, and the growth rings are so close together you need a little magnifying glass to look at them. Extremely dense growth. And the thing about cypress is it just doesn't rot. So we, I have gone to using that because I'm not using redwood or any of these trees that are a thousand years old that you can still cut. These sinker logs, is what they're called, are in the bottom of the swamps, and people have been digging them out 
for 75 years. And so this is what we use to do all our repairs. Although the Cypress was in fine shape, it was where somebody would stray and think, oh, I'll use chestnut, that's rot resistant. Well, yeah, it is, but it doesn't work like Cypress because the, stripe, the Cypress windowsills and the whole building were in perfect condition. Then we came around onto Madison Place and all of a sudden we started running into chestnut sills. And so those had to come out when we had to mill new pieces of Cypress from sinker logs that are dragged out of swamp. So, you know, I know people down in, in Texas and Florida that salvage this stuff and you have to just ship it up here and pay the price for it and <laughs> mill it out. But uh, also, I have done a lot of work on this building 30 years ago. So I started running across some of my old work and that's where I saw, oh, geez, I replaced that windowsill with clear redwood. And so I said, well, my guys, look, this is perfect, but you know, you just, we can't cut any more redwood trees. It's, <laughs> so. Um, but anyway, uh, so really the whole thing was uh, with the wood, just try to use stuff that you would never have to come back to, that it was never gonna rot. And then there was one other place where we had to make sections of the cornice, which turned out, everyone thought it was wood, but it turned out to be monel. Monel metal is an alloy of copper and nickel very rot, very corrosion resistant, almost as a marine quality metal. And that was all formed, the whole cornice was all preformed, extruded in long sections. And we had a piece that was rotted out and somebody replaced it with wood. And it was, it was a hopeless mess, you couldn't see it till you got up on the scaffolding. Could have left it, maybe couldn't have got away, but knowing some great sheet metal mechanics, we went over to a shop of a really, the last, architectural sheet metal union shop in the city, went over there in the evening, and they made me the parts to do, to duplicate this section of the cornice out of, we, we couldn't get the Monel, so we used a, an alloy of copper and zinc. And then we had to put electrolysis barriers between, electrolysis barriers between the metal, and we had to use special kind of rivets and everything, put it up there, but now it's, right at the end of the building on H Street, on the east side. Very hard to pick out, but it's all about finding the right craftsman to do this kind of work. And, uh, you know, it, it's not me, it's, it's just a lot of guys like that knowing where to find people. So that's all I have to say. I'm out of time, so do you have any questions? <laughs> The, the bay window on 8th Street is not original. Why would it be retained? Uh, because we were not going back to the Dolly Madison period. So, yes? The bricks that came out of the Carnegie Library building, were they, where were they in the building? They were, uh, there was a, an open courtyard on the inside. So they were actually exterior grade bricks but there were walls in that interior courtyard that got taken out. I, I don't know if you've been in the building. Yeah, but it's underneath that giant skylight in that area. Yes? How does it feel to still be working 30 years later and going back and seeing <laughs> I still had some of those submittals, and I wanted to resubmit them. But uh, unfortunately, we didn't do that phase of work. 
but I do have them sitting on my desk at you know Dolly Madison. So, yeah. Yes. Dolly was supposed to have sat out on her steps as the schoolgirls came by and chatted with them. That would have been on the front where the balconies are today. Yeah, Madison Place. Uh, as you face the building on the left hand end and of the west facade. Yeah. Front door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that door, the very door went around to the 8th Street side and then uh, a new door got added all the way down the 8th Street side and then that door got moved back one bay. So on the 8th Street side, the door was in three different locations. So, yes? How do you handle all the change orders. You must have become expert at change orders. <laughs> well, my wife, Anne, who's president of the company, is um, very good at spreadsheets. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they are a problem. They're always uh, a little contentious, you know. Yeah. Did you find any trinkets in the wall or cornerstones or anything? No. No. That's I have over the years found a lot of very nice things, but nothing here. Just aside, I was working at the Decatur House, and I I was in this little pantry room, and I said, I know this is old fabric. This is really old because you know most of the time all that stuff is gone, and I take back this baseboard because we're doing some fireproofing in there, and there is a card with a menu on it from somebody in the Blair House inviting uh, somebody to dinner. Uh, and it had the menu, where they're all handwritten. But I turn that. I always turn all that stuff over. <laughs> hey, tell me, tell me what you were telling me about Hamilton. Hamilton said that uh, culture was at Lafayette Square. And anything north of Lafayette Square was wilderness. So that was his view. And as I did the research on this, I, I couldn't stop reading about it because everybody, everything, all these people you knew, and, and then it, it's just like uh, Dolly Madison, well, her son from another marriage, uh, you know, uh, he winds up selling the house and he's in there, you know, and uh, uh, and then to have Wilkes be Madison's brother-in-law, uh, all of this. It's, it's, you, you can just go on and on with the history of this park. In fact, I mean, there was a great hi historian. He just died. There's going to be a service for him tomorrow at the Decatur House, William Seal. And he wrote a fantastic book about living on Lafayette Square. And it, it's, it's a tremendous story. So. And the last people to live on Lafayette Square were people living in the Decatur House, uh, the Beals. Yes? Uh, looking at an 1880 picture of the Decatur House front, uh, is the door similar to the original door? Now it, it just looks like the frame around the door has changed. I, the frame around the door has changed as well as the two flanking windows, because there used to be porches there, little balcony porches on the other side. Where did the people who cooked and worked, this was before slavery in that house, um, when the ambassadors lived there, they brought them like from Russia, and mm -hmm. where did they live? Oh, the, the, the servants? They would have been uh, 
uh, appointed. Yeah, well, there were outbuildings behind the Decatur House, and uh, I know now they have the carriage house and they have what's called a slave quarters, but I know that there were other footings under there because uh, I've run into them when we were working in the courtyard and, and uh, the mechanical system stopped working because there were chiller pipes running through the courtyard and then we had dug them up and then all of a sudden we were into these historic footings and nobody knew about them. So there were other buildings behind Decatur House. Well, what about then behind the Cuts House? Where were the outhouses and barns? And the they had the two lots next to them okay. also. And that, uh, uh, well, the buildings were built there and then Cosmos Club tore them down. So that, that's where they went. I think we've got time for two more questions. Okay. Yes. Did you come prepared with some modern day WD 40 to fix this? <laughs> I don't know what to say to that question. I think if you'll check the woman sitting next to your right, her purse might be in there. Yes. Well, you know, that's a good question. I do a lot of work for really large contractors. Uh, I work Clark. I worked at the um, Cannon House office building. All these big projects, and the amount of safety training that they put you through, it's it's um, intense. And, and 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 then if somebody gets injured. Uh, and it's a bad injury, then you go back for more. And uh, so I, you, you have these stickers on your hard hat and mine, uh, you know, I call them tours of duty, all these jobs. But every one of those rep represents more safety training. And uh, so uh, you, you, you're not going to get that on small jobs, but on large jobs, you, you get it all the time. Everyone, please join me. Thank you.